0: First passage of scripture I'll be reading this morning is from Genesis 18, 20 through 32. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, the Lord said, I will not destroy it. Once again, Abraham spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. The Lord answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. I'll read now Luke eleven five through 10. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children are asleep in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God.
1: Steve Park. He's a new friend to me here in the city, and he's the director of Little Lights, a ministry to at-risk kids here on the hill and in Anacostia. He also runs a race literacy class that I invite you to take if you haven't had a chance to. It's a wonderful exploration of the history of race and racism here in our nation. Uh, The next one's running in September, and there's details about it in uh, the bulletin. Now, he invited me this week to join him at a Nats game. Uh, what was happening, was, I'm not a baseball fan, but I'll go to a, a Nats game, especially when uh, the Nats chaplain is hosting pastors in a suite to talk to pastors about uh, what to do or input on the Faith Day event that they host in September. And so as we enjoyed the game, we inevitably chatted about you know, different things, one of them being the topic of racism in our nation. And as we're walking back to the circulator bus to go home that evening... Uh, we were discussing how race seems to be becoming uh, the, the issue in the upcoming election. And so we were sharing articles that we found helpful and articulating some of our opinions and how we are engaging with people who might see things differently. As we parted ways for the evening, it was easy to think about how I was going to jump into action. What article was it going to share? What was it going to say? What could I practically do that could make an impact on this huge issue. I think instinctively, many of us, if you're like me, would say, well, this is just way too overwhelming and frustrating, so I'm just not gonna do anything. I'm not gonna think about it. But there's one thing that I was reminded to do, especially in light of our message today. Now, it's not something that comes naturally in our world, like activism, or easily, as easy as pressing a share button on our preferred social media platforms, or just plain ignoring them because they're too difficult to think about. But this activity just may be the most powerful thing that Jesus followers can do. It's something that God invites us into that can change situations and even change the course of history. We're in the middle of this People of the Book sermon series where we're looking at how scriptures presented to us in the lectionary readings can help shape our faith and how they can inform how we engage with our faith in the world that we live in. Now, as we heard the scriptures read today, we heard different expressions of prayer. There's prayers of adoration, where we express our worship to God for who He is and His character. There's prayers of confession, which we just uh, did as Kurt led us through, where we recognize our brokenness, our disordered desires, and name them before God. There's prayers of thanksgiving, as we've been singing this morning, thanking God for what he's, who he is and what he's done for us. And through this course of this year, we've heard about contemplation, prayers of contemplation, where we enjoy God's presence and enjoy this relationship with the living God. And finally, there's this class of prayers called petitions, and these are the ones that I think come most easily to us. We say, God, I need this. God, I need you. God, I need help. And within this final class of prayers where it's in this final class of prayers where God invites us into one of the most powerful practices available to us. It can change storylines not only of our lives but of the world around us. What is this? Intercessory prayer. I want to invite you to consider how you can be part of changing history through intercessory prayer. We'll walk through intercession in four steps today. One is to recognize, two is to stand, Three is to persevere, and four is to remember. Recognize, stand, persevere, and remember. First thing we can do is recognize that things are not the way they should be. In Psalm 85, we heard uh, read in our call to worship, the psalmist begins the psalm by reciting God's faithfulness in the past. God has shown favor to Israel. The land was abundant. They experienced God's blessing God forgave the sins of people and that he felt near to them. The psalmist recalls this ideal time, but now things were different. In 85, verse 4 to 6, we we repeated this over and over again. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? Things seem different. From the way they used to be. God seemed so far away. In fact, God seemed angry at them. They needed God to intervene because things seemed so far from what they should be. Do you ever feel like that? My life shouldn't be like this. Our world shouldn't be like this. In discussions with people about current events, I've heard some people say, well, It's just too hard to watch the news. It's too depressing. It makes me mad because I can't do anything about it. So I don't want to hear about it. Whether it's viewing your social media feed or opening up the newspaper or flipping on the news uh, on TV, you can't help but recognize that things are not the way they should be. We have children who are locked up and separated from their families. Leaders express racist sentiments and write them into policies of a government. The rich and famous get away from punishment for their criminal acts because they can lawyer up with expensive lawyers and make an advantageous plea bargain. The sick have to choose between paying the rent or getting medical care. Systemic racism limits some people from accessing resources and positions simply because of the color of their skin. In parts of the world, girls are aborted and women are treated as property because they are deemed less valuable than men. People are discriminated against because of their lifestyle choices. Our planet is being destroyed because of greed. Are you depressed yet? You came to church to be encouraged, right? Not reminded of the world's brokenness. But it's very clear if we're willing to face the facts that things are not the way they should be. Now, no matter where you stand on the solutions to these global issues that we face, the one action that all of us can be united in as Jesus followers is to recognize that reality, these realities without turning our eyes from them, without being handicapped from action because they seem to be too big to solve. Our response should be that. This is too big for me. This is too big for us. There's no way we can solve this on our own guile and strength. We need someone to intervene. And that's the first point of intercessory prayer. We can call things as they are, but we don't stay there. This week, the Washington Post reported about a single mom named Taylor who had just picked up her four-year-old son Andrew from school and were headed home on the metros uh, to Arlington. As an active boy, he wanted to run around on the train, and after about 20 minutes of trying to coax him to calm down, he began to have a meltdown. Andrew, you see, is autistic and had a full-on tantrum. Taylor, the mom, embarrassed by her situation, and I think some of us can identify with this, right, as parents, and how she might be perceived by other metro passengers, she said, then he starts the kicking and the hitting and the pulling my hair while everyone in rush hour stares on the train, most thinking I was a bad parent who had an out-of-control child, even though he really can't help it. So she hopped off at the next station, hoping that that would calm him down, but it doesn't. In fact, he continues rolling around and kicking and screaming on the platform. She was desperate and in need. The next moment, a Metro officer named Dominic is approaching them. They look up and they freeze. But instead of getting a rebuke for making a scene, Dominic asks, can I help? And after Taylor explains the situation He offered to come onto the train with them to accompany them. Dominic engaged Andrew, showed him his police gear, and even gave him his badge and saying, hey, can you help me with my police work on the train? Andrew calmed down, and Dominic was touched. That Andrew even reached up to grab his hand, as you see there. As many children with autism don't like physical contact. At the next stop, Taylor and Andrew would have to transfer to another train line. Yet, Dominic continued with them, accompanying them all the way to their destination, where they parted ways. Taylor was relieved. Andrew was calm. Because Dominic stepped into their situation, even when his job didn't call for it. Dominic recognized a need, and he saw that things weren't the way they should be for this mother and child. But he didn't rebuke this mom for her her son's out-of-control behavior. He didn't take a video and post it on social media, hashtag bad parenting, to shame her. He stepped in to intercede on her behalf. Where she was unable to address the need, Dominic went beyond his responsibility and stood in the gap for her. We see Abraham do something similarly before the living God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 18, God intends on destroying these cities because of the wickedness of the inhabitants. Both God and Abraham recognize that they are not living as they should. And Abraham lives out this call to be a blessing to the nations. Despite the wickedness of the cities and God's decided judgment, Abraham steps forward. He's moved with compassion. He begins to intercede on behalf of the righteous inhabitants there. In verse 23, Abraham, it says, Then Abraham approached God and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He's standing in the gap. He's imploring God to be merciful and withhold judgment for the sake of the righteous there. Abraham, if you think about it, had no no skin in the game, except his nephew Lot and his family. As a faithful follower of God, Abraham could have said, hey, you know, God is God. I'm not. It's not my responsibility. God is doing his job, judging people. Yet he steps forward to stand in the gap on behalf of the righteous, who live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Through his prayer and intercession, this principle has been established that God, in his character, will not destroy the righteous alongside the wicked. And because Abraham stands in the gap in prayer, God's judgment is delayed long enough for a nephew and his two children to survive. Unfortunately, there were not even 10 righteous people in the city. God is faithful to his own character, and his word in dealing with the wickedness. And Abraham has changed the storyline for Lot and his two children. When we come to know the living God, we find that our heart is moved by God's character and by the needs around us. Two things together. So, when we ha- so we have this resource to stand in the gap for others, especially in prayer. We can step outside of our own world and our own problems and help carry the burdens of those around us. Here at WCF, we, every week we have prayer, healing prayer team members available to pray with you. Now these prayer team members are acting as intercessors. They don't have any special powers on their own. They don't pray any special prayers. They're uh, simply uh, re- responding to God's call and appointed by the church to be intercessors on your behalf, bringing your needs to God in prayer. They're willing to recognize the needs you have, not turn away and ignore, but to stand in the gap on your behalf. They're carrying this burden to God in prayer where you feel that you don't have the strength to carry it anymore, and you may be at the end of your rope. Standing in the gap isn't limited only, though, to those who recognize their need. I recently started volunteering to help out InterVarsity at uh, Georgetown for the ministry to graduate, faculties, uh, faculty, graduate students and faculty. Now this week, I went to the campus to do a prayer walk and meeting with a uh, faculty and a student, asking the Spirit of God to show me how to pray and stand in the gap there. Now, it's a way for me to say, Lord, I have zero connection or obligation to this university, but you have called students to this place that can be part of your plan to make the world better through their education and through the gifts and callings. And I don't know if the students know this, but... Georgetown's core values, one of them is ad majorem de gloria, for the greater glory of God. They're there. Part of the prayer of this university that we can join in with. We have opportunities to encourage Christ followers to see their studies as a vocation that can bring God's kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace in the world. As I walked around and sat on the bench observing you know, people on campus. I could sense this campus is pregnant with opportunity and future impact. So I prayed together with this faculty member for the students and faculty members there to encounter God for themselves and to discern God's will for their lives. Prayed something like this. Many don't know you, but they can do God's good work in the world. And Lord, they can do even more if they come into a relationship with the living God. So help me to be a part of that wherever you place me. I can change the course of history because you, God, are the one who writes that history through the lives of each of these students and faculty. Our prayer is not in vain. We can stand in the gap. This leads us to the third aspect of intercessory prayer. As products of the Enlightenment and the American Dream, we often like to see how our action has immediately recognizable results. When I make a meal, I want to enjoy eating it after, right? When I climb, uh, uh, do rock climbing, I want to get to the top and enjoy the, the the feeling of of accomplishment. But intercessory prayer is really countercultural. It seems so disconnected from from these tangible results in intercessory prayer. Often we're praying for someone or we're praying for something that doesn't immediately affect us. Maybe we don't even know them. We don't see the benefit often in our lives. So it's an act of faith, believing that the living God has a plan to address the need that we see. It takes faith, but it also takes perseverance. In the Luke 11 passage, on the heels of teaching Jesus' disciples how to pray with the Lord's prayer, Jesus tells the story of this persevering host that we heard Gene read for us. This host has a need. He has a house guest coming and no food to treat the guest to. This was incredibly shameful in the ancient culture, to not be able to host a guest. There's no prepackaged quiches from Costco in the freezer. No Uber Eats to call at the last minute. The fridge is empty, and your honored guests are arriving. So the host goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night to ask for some food to borrow. The neighbor is bothered and doesn't want to help, but because of this host's perseverance, the neighbor relents and helps him out a great inconvenience to himself and to his family. In Luke chapter 8 verse 11 verse 8 he he says this, I tell you even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship yet because of your shameless audacity he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The point of persevering in this story isn't that it's repetitiveness of the request. Instead, the host's willingness to repeatedly knock on the door of his neighbor in the middle of the night is a sign of this submission of the host. He had surrendered all of his pride and reserve. He recognized that this need was greater than preserving his good name. And that's the heart of intercession, Intercession isn't just recognizing the need of someone else and help being willing to stand in the gap, but it's submitting ourselves and this situation to God's ways, even when we don't see the results before us. And that's the kind of shameless audacity that Luke is talking about when Jesus talks about prayer. This is what enables us to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking as Jesus commands, even when we don't see the results come immediately before us. Intercessory prayer can be like rowing a boat in the ocean. We don't always see progress immediately because we feel like the wind is pushing us. The current is, is, is pushing us away from where we want to go. But we're submitting ourselves to this process. Sometimes there's people in the boat rowing together with you. Other times we feel we're doing that alone. Sometimes we have the light of day to give us a sense of where we're going or to see markers that we're making progress. But other times, and more often than not, it feels like we're doing it in the middle of the night. And all we have is this faint glimmer of the pale moonlight shimmering on the surface of the water to guide us. That's what prayer often feels like. But this image leads us to the final principle of intercession. If prayer is like rowing in the dark, remember that the source of light that we are guided by, the glimmer, on the surface of the water, isn't the source of light. It's a reflection of the moonlight. But even the moonlight isn't the source of light because moon is is reflecting the sun shining on the opposite side of the world while we're in the dark. If prayer is like rowing a boat, we remember that we are submitting to someone who is not only the source of light, that is the sun, but we're also submitting to the one who directs the wind and the ocean currents. We're submitting to the one who holds all of creation in his hands. The living God stands over all of creation and is inviting his followers to join him in this work of seeing all creation and all uh, redeemed for God's glorious purposes. We must remember this. Remember that the effectiveness of our prayer is not dependent on our character or on the character of our prayers. The effectiveness of our prayer is grounded in the character of the one that we pray to. The psalmist points to this character in Psalm 85, verses 9 to 11. He says, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. We find out just how love and faithfulness meet, how righteousness and peace kiss when the living God comes to us. When we're crushed by our needs and overwhelmed by the needs of this world that we feel that we cannot carry on or solve ourselves. Jesus, the light of the world, not only shines in the darkness, but he walks upon the dark waters and comes to us and gets into the boat with us. He not only takes the wooden oars from our hands, those wooden oars that are weathered and worn from straining But he he places his own hands on the wooden cross for us. He recognizes our need. He stands in the gap that we could never fill. And he perseveres through death and into the resurrected life for us. The great intercessor changed the course of history by going to the cross and then passing through the grave. Jesus was our great intercessor and continues to be Our great intercessor. Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, he says, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Because of Jesus' past, present, and continued intercession, we do not intercede alone. Our intercession is not in vain so we can pray boldly. We can pray faithfully no matter what circumstances we see. So when we confront the needs of our lives or in the world around us, we don't have to turn our eyes away. We don't have to be incapacitated. There is something that we can do that is incredibly powerful. We can intercede. So here's an invitation for you this week. Maybe intercession is part of your rhythm but I know it's not regularly part of my rhythm without some sort of structure. So I invite you to commit to interceding this week. Practice it for three things, three categories. One is for a, a relationship that you have, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker who just needs to meet God or is struggling with a need in their lives. Pray for them each day. Second thing is pray for our nation. You know it's really easy to share articles about our leaders in our nation, that, that match what we feel. But I wonder how often do we sit and pray for them and say, God, will you unite our leaders? Will you help them to hear and represent you? Will you help them, give them wisdom to lead well? Pray for our nation or the issues of our nation. And lastly, pray for a global concern. I'm sure all of us can find something that I said, man, this should not be this way. Instead of critiquing, pray. Pray for them. Pray for that issue. Pray for people who are working in those fields. Pray for God's kingdom to come, as we sang: build your kingdom here. Right this nation's wrongs. Find a friend. Pray for a friend, pray for this nation, and pray for our world. This week, as you do all these things, remember, you don't have to have all the answers. Just start praying. Remember who's listening. Remember who's interceding together with us. And you can be a part of changing the history of the world. Amen. So normally, I would pray. But in light of this message, I actually want to encourage you. At the invitation, uh, at the encouragement of someone who I shared this message with, I want to encourage you to just intercede right now. Could you maybe find two or three people? If it gets if it gets more than three, that's too big. But just find two or three people, maybe if someone you don't even know, and just share maybe one of those things that's burdened you, something in the world, something in our nation, or just a friend that you're praying for, and just pray for them. Take two minutes or 30 seconds to share with one another and one minute each to pray. And then I'll kind of close off that time and we'll go from there. Can we do that? We're a bit ahead of schedule, so. If you just wrap up in 15 seconds, that'd be great. Living God, we thank you that we can join you in renewing the world, that the problems and the burdens of this world that we live in are not too big for you to solve. Help us to pray for others around us and for our nation and for our world that your kingdom would come and your will will would be done and that you would glorify yourself in this world that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray.